Is it possible to advocate for social justice and not demonize people who disagree with you? Sharon Groves will be with us on Good God to talk about just that. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, and I'm joined today by Sharon Groves. Sharon has become a friend, and she was introduced to me by another great friend, Jay Pritchard, who is actually the communications coordinator for our show uh, with uh, Upward Strategy Group. Sharon, welcome to the program, and uh, thank you for joining me for this conversation. Thank you for doing this. I love the title. I love what you're trying to do. These kinds of conversations are so needed right now. Well, so and it fits right into what you do for a living, too, right. because uh, I should tell everyone that you are the vice president uh, for partnership, what is it? It's Part partner, partner engagement. engagement. I never can get that yeah. quite right. <laughs> for Auburn Seminary. Yeah. Now when people hear Auburn Seminary, they might think that that's the team that is always playing against Alabama. That's right. Um, but actually it's in New York City. That's right. Uh, and it uh, formerly was a traditional seminary many, many years ago. Right. But now you guys have a, a unique mission. You, you, yeah. you do work in training clergy and uh, and organizations around social justice issues. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so Auburn is celebrating its 200th year anniversary. Oh my goodness. So yeah. it's been around for a long time. The name Auburn, it's not Auburn, Alabama, but it was it's founded from Auburn, New York, right. which was the, there, there was an underground railroad there. It's the wow. home of the suffragettes, that, wow. that, that movement. It's, very, it's a very historic period, yes. uh, or place, um, in a historic period. In in the 40s, we decided to stop granting degrees. Mm -hmm. um, it was like so many seminaries, we were just early to the game. Yes. Like lots of seminaries now are having to fold right. their doors, right. close their doors. We were doing that in the 40s mm -hmm. um, and, and assessing what we were going to do. So then there was right. a kind of gentleman's handshake with yeah. Union Theological Seminary and Auburn, that Auburn would really continue, do the continuing education that was needed at Union. And mm -hmm. so there was this relationship that happened there. Mm -hmm. Then over the years with our new president, um, Catherine Henderson, mm -hmm. we've moved to be a multi-faith center. Yes. So it's not just Christian any longer. Right. We really are, we really see ourselves as bringing together people of faith from across traditions and no traditions. We talk about people of moral courage as well. Mm -hmm. and, we, and we're interested in the work for justice. So who's, yes. who is engaged in the faith community and in the activist community that's spiritually rooted in right. justice work. Right. And how can we help to build that so that it's stronger? Right. And how can we help uh, individual congregations do it better? Yes. So we offer a whole bunch of trainings and workshops from media training to bridging divide work. Right. And we have cohorts, so beautiful ones called the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle, which is, uh, which is a kind of radical wholeness and wellness. Mm -hmm. Co cohort for African-American women, we just recently did one with transgender mm -hmm. African-American women, right. and we have a senior fellows cohort. So we have a lot of, we, we offer places where people that are doing justice work and often feel isolated and alone in the world can feel that they have community. So when we talk about social justice work, this is sort of a, a, a term that is for more progressive Christians and, uh, and yeah. people who are active progressive 
in progressive politics. That's sort of language that fits them uh, fairly well, and they don't even think too deeply about it because it's just part of the agenda of their life and advancing causes and, and the like. But uh, for many of our religious traditions, I would say uh, that's been uh, something to rediscover about our religious traditions. It's, it's been something that in some ways was kind of an afterthought uh, and, and, and so, what, but what I'm seeing in the religious world is a, a new awakening to how central all of that is to the very nature of our faith. Not, a, you know, a, a, an elective course, but something in the core curriculum yeah. of, of what we have to do. Uh, do you see that change happening among religious communities as well? Yes, and I think, it's a hard thing because I think I think that, that among moderate and progressive religious communities mm -hmm. and those that have wrestled with who they are and what they're about and what they want to do, that this moment has, as you said, kind of called them into more of a justice frame. Okay. Where I hesitate and where I worry a little bit, and I'm trying to figure this out, is that I think sometimes our language has this polarizing effect and I mm. don't know what to do about that. Okay. So I remember when um, Glenn Beck, 2010, right. he said, right. beware of social justice Christians. Right. And it was like this kind of rallying call about yes. there is this side, these are the people to be afraid of. Yes. And then that becomes, you know, like sanctuary congregations, it becomes right. a term right. that is, that, that can induce fear at the mm -hmm. same time mm -hmm. that I think it's also the rallying cry that brings people together. Right. So I'm really interested and part of the reason that I'm here and that you know I loved this partnership with, with, with Jay um, and with you and love like being in the cooperative Baptist fellowship space mm -hmm. is I'm really interested in what happens in the middle of the country yes. in theological spaces that have not necessarily fully aligned with one side or another side. Right. What what are the ways that we create the wide open invitation nice. that you can take a step nice. and that we're going to be there as you take that step. Yes. And you may not like like one of the things I think about um, I love the phrase from that we that we we got from Black Lives Matter activists about being woke. Yes. But I feel like I want to make it into a verb. Like all of us are getting awakened. Yes. And so what does it mean to be awakened? And Good. like and how are we not sort of creating litmus tests where we say you are either you've, you're you're either pure, you've crossed the line right. or you're 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 you're, you're, the, you're the problem. Right. And you're that's woke the problem. Or you're asleep. On, you're woke you're exactly. Right. You're woke or you're asleep. And that's the problem I think on the progress Side. Yes, so we should be awakening all the time. Yeah, exactly. And realizing, and this is the issue of intersectionality as well, where we we think we have in our own sphere we have uh, addressed a matter, and we're so blind to that in that very thing in another area, right? Yeah. You know, so now I'm I'm woke about uh, white supremacy, but I'm still not so much woke about homophobia or something like that. Exactly. And, so, and, and we need to figure out how to see that human beings are experiencing uh, similar, even if different kinds of pains. Yeah. That we can find those, those connection points and, and say, yes, we, we understand because our experience is not that, but it is this, and oh, that feels the same, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I almost, I was saying to somebody earlier today, that in some ways I'm, I, I'm struggling right now with my theology, 
But the belief, and it's ironic because my church is going through some struggles right now at this yeah. moment, but my belief in congregational life has yes. never been stronger uh -huh. because there is a sense that I think the only way we can get through this is through com is in community. Right. And it's that place where you're actually, and there's something, I don't know, I'd love to see it, I don't know what the alternative is to, um, to congregational life right. where there's a sense of you, you're invested in the space. Right. You may sit next to the pew to somebody that you hate, right. you know, because that right. often happens. Even if they agree with you politically, right. you don't necessarily right. like them, right? right? right. Um, and you have to struggle with yes. people, yes. and that there is something about the container that holds you in that struggle. Yes. And and I don't know where else we have that, and I don't know of a way to kind of get through these things right. besides through relationship deep relationships, right? Like that are over a long period of time. Yeah. And I think there's intentionality about those relationships too. So yeah. relationships are sometimes by default, we're just family. We have right. to deal with that. Thanksgiving table, it is what it is, right? And so uh, we're gonna disagree about this, but can we figure out how to get through Thanksgiving together and be kind to one another? And maybe even a bigger ambition to listen to one another and mm -hmm. see uh, what is it you're afraid of and what is it you're concerned about and what about your kids and things like that. But I, I also think, Sharon, that there has to be, for people of faith especially, this intentional outreach yes. that has to happen. Yes. Where we actually have to go meet people we don't know yes. and listen to them, learn from them, yes. uh, because otherwise it's just sort of we, we, we create all these sort of assumptions about people, they they fit neatly into our pigeonholes, but they actually don't. And uh, if if we, uh, we we had a Ramadan dinner the other night at our mm. church, you know, and uh, an iftar dinner, uh, and uh, this wonderful Turkish Turkish community of Muslims came, brought the food, and and talked to us mm. about their fasting tradition, and then we broke the fast together mm. at just the right moment at 8:33, and mm. uh, we, the the call to break the fast and the prayer. It was a beautiful mm. experience, you mm. know. But um, uh, but we had to be the kind of community that had that was capable of welcoming the stranger and saying it's okay to deal with your anxiety and fear of their otherness. So I have a question for you about that. Well, did you do this with your congregation? Yes. Okay. Do you think that congregation would have been able to do that if you hadn't done the work that you did around marriage, uh, around right. around the emboli, the right. around, like, I mean, right. did that, the way in which you carried, brought that congregation to right. a place of being able to engage difference. Right. I mean, I'm just curious if you, if the Well, I, I think it, it was easier. Yeah. Certainly it was easier. And I guess I should be, you know, completely honest in saying that when in November of 2016, when we concluded a long process of discernment, uh, disagreement, struggle, uh, all the things that w it took to make a decision to be completely uh, welcoming and affirming of LGBTQ persons in our church, uh, that was a, a turning point in, very, in many ways for people, both for those who chose to leave our church and those who chose to stay. Right. 
uh, those who chose to leave believe it was a bridge too far for them right. that uh, right. even though many of them Sharon had gone with us on the ordination of women and on on, yeah. on leaving the Southern Baptist Convention years ago and on uh, on saying that they wanted to be a more moderate uh, religious presence and constructive and welcoming uh, welcoming was one thing affirming was another and uh, and and really to have complete equality uh, was a step that for some of them felt unfaithful yeah. and so when yeah. they left what we realized is some of the same people who struggled with that issue were people who struggled with us when I preached about race, right. um, when I spoke about Muslims, um, because they felt as if there were uh, unsaid things that it was only half truth and that really it didn't represent something of the bad behavior of or the worst examples of and we were giving too much of a pass to them. And so it was, huh. uh, it was a lot of the same issues and, huh. and not having all of that pushback Gave, gives you a little more freedom, yes, to be in to pursue other kinds of relationships yeah. uh, that uh, are really rich and otherwise were very painful in, in the com congregation. So interesting. And I think, you know, I, I think that the work, and it's so hard to do right now, mm -hmm. is that we've got to be, um, as you said, we've got we've, we've to be able to see people that we haven't seen before. Right. We have to be able to open up. We right. have to be able to sort of to 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 work on ourselves so that our our reactions are not so instantaneous, yes. but like we can actually see and hear people that think think and feel and, and live right. in the world differently than we do. And at the same time, if we're gonna have a more compassionate, more just world, we also have to hold on to our convictions. Yes. When it is about more inclusion and more love. And right. so to be so t for those two things to live side by side, mm -hmm. it's very, very hard. I mean in the like in the progressive world, there's an incredible amount of suspicion right now. And rightly so, because people have been deeply traumatized. You know, people that are really um, that are the most marginalized are not all that interested in this bridging divides right, work of, right, of, of, right. of reaching across. Right. Somebody said to me um, that empathy doesn't go upstream. You right. know, like it's very right. hard to do that. Yes. That's sort of that work. Right. And, and, so in, and so the rhetoric is very much like let's mobilize the base. Let's, right. like, let's, sure. build, let's build our power structure that is stronger with those that have been sort of the butt of all the systems of oppression. Sure. Sure. And I think both have to happen because what happens is like because mm -hmm. also I'm seeing in 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 um, activist communities a way of people like sort of eating their own and yes. so there's a real and the uh, the I got I became a person of faith around because I didn't grow up with faith and I became a person of faith in. Um, right after 9/11. Wow. And the decision around that was I was involved it, like I you know, grew up in a progressive family. I've been an activist, like, of some capacity um, most of my adult life. But I had, I was involved in um, the anti-war work at that time, and people were reading the writing on the wall, and they knew we were going to go to, we were going to go to war. They thought at that time it was going to be Afghanistan, mm -hmm. but they knew that that was going to happen. And there was a kind of, and in that community, there was this absolute fury at George Bush right. before before he even took us to war right. in Iraq, right? right? Like even before that, there was a sense he's mm -hmm. gonna do something awful. Mm -hmm. And there was and there was no space 
I felt or very little space to actually mourn and to be able to to be present to this horror that just happened yes. and to actually hold that at the same time recognize that we want to build a more just world and that war is not the answer and so it was because like I stumbled into a church with that that kind of all of that okay, stuff. That's, that's the link we need to pursue next. In, in our second segment, we need to come back to this whole question of faith, anger, yeah. grief, how we put all of those things together and end up with a, a, a cocktail that's pleasing. So, okay, <laughs> to use a phrase. Yeah. All right, let's come back after the break with that. Okay, great. great. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved. We're back with Sharon Groves, and Sharon, we were just talking about uh, you're coming to a position of faith yeah. uh, after 9-11, and yeah. one of the ways that happened was that you were seeking for a community that would give you a way of dealing with uh, anger and with grief and sadness uh, instead of just reacting. Instead uh, of just reacting, to, that's right. to, to find a way. Now, most people don't necessarily think today that faith offers that, but I think you're right, that yeah. that's at our best, that's what we do, isn't it? To create a safe space to say, it all doesn't depend upon us, that there is a spiritual presence at work in the world yes. uh, that, yes. that, that we can depend upon and yes. that uh, is, is, is actively at work in the world, bringing about uh, peace and order and all of that too. Yes, yes. And oh, I just remember when I, when I stepped into my congregation and tell tell everybody what it is because so it was so yeah. so um, I don't know if you're if you're if your uh, watchers and listeners are Baptist or how how grand they're, they're, it, it, they're everywhere. this is a Unitarian Universalist congregation yeah. but it was but it's was one that was more Unitarian Universalists are an interesting bunch there's yes. some that are very very secular right. and Christianity is even right. though we say we're inclusive right. it's all but Christianity that we're inclusive right. of so that's one one aspect of Unitarians right. and this was a little different this one had had deep Methodist roots and so it was a right. different kind it was a very spiritually grounding place and I and again I grew up without much religion at all right. kind of on the sec like not just secular but antagonistic I grew yes. up in a, a Springfield, Illinois, which was evangelical and conservative mm -hmm. Catholic. I, I was, I came out um, as a lesbian when I was in my early 20s, but was ha the rumblings were certainly there when I was in Springfield. Yes. And, and I had this very, these like this very progressive academic family that were transplants from um, Madison, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And there was a sense at that, that they needed that that church was threat. Oh. So they saw religion as that scary thing mm -hmm. that was gonna that was gonna harm them. Mm -hmm. And so there was a sense of you had to walk in this kind of very, very straight line and not look on either side. Right. And so what so that's what I grew up with. Right. And um, 
at, but I'd always been a spiritual person, and when I think back on it, you know, I was always mm -hmm. visiting my friends' congregations and really curious, right. the Baptists, the Catholics, the Jewish, all of it. Um, yes. I just loved religion, have always loved religion. I love nothing more than to be with people that, um, where the divine speaks to them, and I don't, I, I'm, I think it comes in all kinds of ways. I so don't have a sort are, of sense of orthodoxy So here you are that. now, you are a married gay woman. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder both what the, the Supreme Court's decision on marriage equality, mm -hmm. what, did, what did that mean to you personally and spiritually, certainly in your relationship with your wife, uh, but, but also then the reaction to it by the, some in the religious community. What, is, what, what are both of those emotions for like? So it's interesting and it might be different than what you might expect because I, I worked at the Human Rights Campaign. I directed yes. the Religion and Faith Program there mm -hmm. from 2005 to 2015. Yes. So that was a lovely time to be working you, on yeah, LGBT issues because yes. everything was a good, like we certainly there were some bad things that happened. But incremental. But incrementally everything was mm -hmm. a good story, right? Yeah, right? Like it just got better and better yes. and better. Um, and how much fun is that? Yes. So, what I so the thing that might be that might be surprising is that um, I really was still go to a Unitarian Universalist church. I identify with the Universalist side. Mm -hmm. I would call myself a Universalist Christian, mm -hmm. and it was because of the experience of people, you know, like you, like others in the community that were that were leading in Christian spaces, hmm. Jewish spaces too, but, I f but for whatever set of reasons, I think the rumbling was around Christianity okay. for me, right. that they were leading a, like a very prophetic, biblically grounded call mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. marriage equality and for um, LGBTQ inclusion and the sense that God loves all of us. Yes. And the power of that language right. spoke to me in a way that, um, that was surprising and and deepening of my faith. Wow. And I remember one moment we did these things called clergy call for justice and equality. And we would have, and you have to understand in the LGBT community there is such deep distrust. Mm -hmm. Deep distrust. It's better now than it was, but there's deep distrust of religion. And religion gets equated with the most far right, right? right? Like, so there's sure. a sense of that that's, that's what religion is. So we would do these clergy call for justice and equality gatherings and we would bring clergy in from every state in the country. And in 2006, 2008, that was a big deal because people didn't know that in, in Mississippi there were affirming Christians. Right. Of course there have been for years and years, people just didn't know it. Yes. So, and that you had these like very hard, hardcore, secular, agnostics, atheist, um, that were the staffers at HRC that would be standing with all these clergy think, singing things like this little light of mine and we shall overcome and preaching from their hearts about full inclusion and there wasn't a dry eye in the house and wow. there was a sense that I think like I, I think even people don't even know the longing that they have for faith. I think ah, it's really, really strong. And beautiful. I think that people in the LGBT community have been told that they, they, they can't be part, they're an abomination, they're a sin, they're whatever that thing is, that they are outside of this, that, uh, uh, that, they, that they don't get to have a spirituality. Mm. And that's like, that oh is, is deep in the, yes. in the thinking and it's still. And so when you have affirming folk yes. say, you are loved by God, right. like something that simple, you are loved by God, 
it can it it is it is it, it makes such a difference and it makes a difference i think on an unconscious level that people don't even know it's making a difference well and we certainly have experienced it in our church yeah. now since uh the decision we made uh it, it took a while for uh gay people to come to our church and not look over their shoulder and say you got to take it back or do you really right. mean it or right. you know are we able actually to be ourselves is it okay to right. say who we are that sort of thing and they believe us now and they're able to just you know be fully present and not to be special just to be everyone you know is yeah. is, is the point but over and over again I hear what you're saying yeah. and that is to say they express something that feels like new birth it feels like being born again. It feels like we're experiencing evangelism in the best possible way in our churches. People yeah. have this sense, God really does love me. And, and it's, it's, it's surprising to me, I think it should be news to some other Christians too, that we maybe take it for granted that everybody just assumes that God loves them yeah. and doesn't need to be told. Uh, but actually when people who have been in positions of authority and who have been identified with those who hold the keys to the kingdom somehow of your self-esteem with God in your yeah. place, when they say, oh, well, yes, you're a child of God. Yeah. And you, we're the same. And that is an extraordinary moment of unity and of joy that yeah. we all experience together. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful, and I, I really do believe it has a ripple effect that goes way beyond even those that identify yes. with faith. Right. And, the, and, the, and the opposite is true, too. When you hear stories, like it just broke my heart, this guy that I talked to just the other day who's um, um, a Latino Catholic, and he, right. he went, his family was affirming, but then he went to communion, well, he went to confession, and through that confession, because he came out as gay, he was denied communion. Just like a harsh right. denial. And we see example of that over and over again of right. you don't you're not allowed here, you're kicked out. Right. Like God God isn't like God does not love you. And the and wow. all those like those acts of denial and of rejection mm -hmm. I think also have a rippling effect and creates like I was um, we were talking before on the break, like it creates a sense of in grassroots organizing communities this deep 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 distrust yes, yes. of faith right and so right. that that's a piece that we have to wrestle with right now and so the more i think like i i don't think it needs to be a story of conversion i think it needs to be a story of like justice like god's deep love and right. people that don't believe in god are going to feel that love because it radiates out absolutely yeah uh, it, it does seem to me that this though creates an opportunity for us to learn that to really know another human being is, as a rabbi friend of mine once said, you don't really know me until you know what makes me hurt. Yeah. And if we, if we actually listen to people and, and their pain, uh, there's there's a vulnerability that is that brings connection between us, isn't yes, it? You know, yes. and and when we deny someone the chance to tell us what hurts them, uh, then it's 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 a wall we build yes. instead of a bridge. Yes, there's this guy um, in Atlanta. His name's Greg Ellison, who does work at Emory um, around what's called fearless dialogue. Oh yes, you right. You know about yeah. this, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he has this expression um, that is cut dead. Like what what can you remember that just cut you dead wow. when somebody did not see you? When you yes. literally felt like like um 
you, 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 something of like you were going to be, you, you were sort of dead to the people around you in right. some way, whether you were completely ignored, yes. whether you were taken apart, whether right. you, like, what, whatever that piece was. Right. And the exercise is like, think about a moment when that happened to you. Yes. And what does that feel like? Right. And, and then it's just a way of like, let's actually see that in one another. What are right. the places in which we've, 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 we've cut people dead, right? It's yeah. a really powerful image. You know, I, I think that um, unfortunately sometimes it's the people who have been hurt the most who have the greatest power to teach us. Yeah. Also this grace, uh, I, I remember um, shortly after marriage equality became the law of the land, um, uh, my friend Allison Robinson, who is... Oh, I love Allison. I worked with her. Yeah, okay. Did you know that? I she was a colleague that. of mine. Okay, so here's Allison, <laughs> yeah. a transgender woman yeah. who is a graduate of a Baptist theological seminary yeah. when she was a man. Right. And now um, she is celebrating you know, this and uh, our friend Amy Butler at Riverside invites yeah. her to preach. And she stands up uh, in the pulpit at Riverside and she says something uh, to the effect of, you know, I've been a warrior for years and I think, I, I think I've been a good one. Uh, we've been fighting for equality for all of this time. Yeah. But let me just say, people, we, we won. And now is the time when we have to be gracious. Yeah. Now is the Ooh. time for yeah. us to say, all right, this is the law of the land. It's time for us to change our mode of discourse. Our spirit now has to be outreach. It has to be generosity. It has to be not vindictive, not punishing, not trying to rub it in, but it's time yeah. for us to be kind and generous and to show what we have always asked other people to show for us. To me, that's what heals a nation. It's what makes people of faith special. Yeah. And it was a moment that just touched me and brought me to tears. Of course. I mean, that's just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And given who she is right. and the journey that she's gone through, right. that she can have that generosity of spirit right. is extraordinary. And I think for those of us that hold levels of privilege, right? Yes. Like, and, you know, we, many, most of us have something, right? Mm -hmm. um, that we're the ones, like, we can't, I don't think it's fair for us. It's amazing that Allison got there. Right. I don't think it's fair for us to expect that of those that are yes. the most, like, like thrust down, kicked right. out, right. Um, the most marginalized. Yes. But, though, but it's our responsibility. It's yes. our responsibility, I think, if we're holding some level of privilege to be able to have that graciousness and that generosity. Totally agree with that. And, and, I, and I think it's the only way forward. I don't think that we get move forward by demonizing people. Right. I don't think it works. Right. I think if we see people for who they are, in their flaws, see our own flaws, and move forward, that's the only way. It's like we have to see each other as humans. Well, I told the story about Allison. It could have been about Sharon Groves because oh. that's who I see you to be mm. and the work that you do, both personally and with Auburn. Thank you for the spirit you have, for the passion for justice, uh, just for the love that we sense in you as a human being and a person of faith. Thank you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful too. Thank okay. you. Okay. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. 
Enjoy more, think less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved.